You're listening to TopCast, this old pinball's online radio. For more information, visit them anytime. www.marvin3m.com slash TopCast. The views and attitudes expressed on TopCast belong solely to the appearing guest and may differ significantly from the views and attitudes of the TopCast production staff. An appearance on TopCast does not imply endorsement by TopCast staff. Tonight on TopCast, we got an unbelievable interview with somebody that came from a communist country, Romania, when he was 17 years old, came to the United States as an artist, and ended up in the pinball industry as an unbelievable game designer and idea man, somebody that designed the whole package for a game, from the theme, the storyboard, the, the art package, the whole ideas he designed the whole package. Special guests, special guests, special guests, special guests. I'd like to welcome Python Angelo to TopCast tonight. Python started working in Williams in the 1980s. Worked on Comet, High Speed, Grand Lizard, Pinbot, Big Guns, Cyclone, Taxi, Jokers, Police Force, Bad Caps, Bugs Bunny Birthday Ball, The Machine Bride of Pinbot, Fishtails, Popeye, and of course, Pinball Circus. And then when he moved to Capcom as the creative director, he more or less had his hands in all the Capcom pinball games that were released from Capcom in the 90s. Unbelievable guy. We're going to get him on the phone right now. Python Angelo. We're going to talk to him right now on TopCast. Hello. Python, it's Clay. Hey, Clay. How you doing? Good. I'd like to start with, like, how you got into pinball. You know, I don't know if, if pinball was part of your of your youth. I was in the old country in communist uh, Romania. I put money in, and kids were very poor there, and I got pissed off. I got ripped off. So then, educated as an artist, a renaissance man, success has many fathers, and failure is an orphan. I have heard that John Newcomer designed Joust. I have heard that Pinbot was designed by Barry Osler <laughs> and several other guys. And um, I can send you, by the way, my my Pinbot storyboard for Pinbot. Oh, very cool. Like, might, no, I can like take pictures of this so you can put them. That would be great. You, you know. And and I tell you what, I am so disgusted. That's why I don't go to the pinball show, to uh, Robert's show. Oh, oh, okay. Why? All all those guys that claim they are designers, since I left Williams, they didn't design anything. And I still design games, and some of them are incredible. They are what I call virtual reality pinballs, that you play with people and objects. I rather have people hate me for the truth than like me for a lie. I will tell you like it is. Because by the way, I'm also a wild and crazy guy. Guy, and I did a lot of stuff that I regret. But 
what I take credit for it. Anyway, let me tell you, Clay, I've been interviewed by the Smithsonian uh, Live Magazine, Chicago Tribune, many times. So what I want to do is serve your purpose and what you're looking for to give your audience. So we cut through the chase. Did you read Ayn Rand's Fountainhead? No, I, I guess I didn't. I'm not familiar with that. She's the greatest writer and novelist that's ever lived on this planet. The name of the book is The Fountainhead. If you interview designers, read that book first. Let me tell you why. There are copycats and crazy cats. I'm a crazy cat. <laughs> you understand? Yep, I know what you mean. Okay. Uh, in our industry, Eugene Jarvis's, Steve Ritchie's, um, Harry Williams's are the real innovators. In the book, The Fountainhead, they are O'Rourke. That's the hero of the book. Okay? Okay. The rest are manipulators, money men, and copycats. And you're a crazy cat. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a creator. I'm not a manipulator, a liar, a copier. I don't go and steal from other people's ideas. One of the things I want to talk to you about is the pinball circus. That game's unbelievable. I tell you what, we better we better postpone my interview. Because I want you, I'm not going to lie to you, but I want you to make up your mind if you really want the story of Pinball Circus. Well, oh yeah, why wouldn't I? Read The Fountainhead. And by the way, you might write your greatest book. You, you might write a greater book than Ayn Rand about Steve Ritchie, Eugene Jarvis, Python Angelo and become a very famous and rich man. I'm going to give you the story on a silver platter because I'm designing games. But you you seem to me like a, a writer and a, a communicator. Oh, by the way, I'm 53 going on 17. <laughs> <laughs> and I know, good, you got enough youth and enough experience to handle this. Yeah. Well, by the way, after you, you read a rant, and by the way, you won't be able to leave the book down. I warn you. I don't know if you know, I publish books. I write poetry. I'm a Renaissance man. Did you interview uh, Jarvis? He did pinballs. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, Eugene, yes. We, we have interviewed uh, Eugene. He's a genius. He's a creator, not a copycat. Did you interview Steve Ritchie? Yes. Interviewed Steve Ritchie. Yes. Uh-huh. Yep. We did George Gomez. We've done a bunch of them. He's a, by the way, George Gomez... George Gomez and um, Dennis, the two belly guys, and Dennis... Uh, Dennis Nordman? Norman. Yep. They are good guys. Yet interviewed Dennis, too. Yeah. He's a good guy. Yep, yep. Did, he did both those guys, and the, those interviews came out really nice. Yeah, they are good people. They are very passionate. My two heroes are Eugene Jarvis and Steve Ritchie, you know, and Harry Williams. Williams was destroyed. When I left, I knew they won't do Pinball Circus. That's why I left. And Capcom bullshitted me. I have a sit-down pinball where you sit under a play field with your head in a bubble and the flippers are in front of your nose and balls fly around your head. Pinball is dead. 
because the money man, the money man and the copycats and the bullshitters took over the industry. And by the way, that happened to rock and roll. When the Rolling Stones, Jimi Hendrix, as soon as the big studios and uh, uh, Geffen's and all those guys took over the industry, Williams Electronics was not a game company anymore. Michael Stroll ruined it once because he uh, went public, and all Looney Castro. You see, uh, my dad told me a thing when I was a kid. If you do the best soup in the village, everybody will come and buy your soup. If you worry about making a profit or the business, the money, you will make a, a good soup. Because you will worry about the bill of materials. Right. The same thing happened to our industry. Whether a pinball or video. The money man, and that's what happened to our country. Ruining our kids, our economy. The Chinese don't give a shit. They work for almost nothing like we used to do. And they want to do the best at the lowest price products. But they want to do the best. If you want to do a good toy, it cost me in New York with uh, Al Beckerman mm -hmm. five times the price and it stinks to do a, uh, you know, a toy. Right. A plastic toy. Nicastro throw all those guys, all those money men, and now Stern is going to pound the final nails in the coffin of pinball, because all those guys are money men. They preach that they care about the game, or no, they don't. They don't. Yeah, they're just worried about the bottom line instead of making the good soup. Wait, wait, do you think I don't worry about the bottom line? You know what the bottom line is? If you have the best freaking game in the world, that's the American dream. I was brought from communism. These guys are rapist communists and, and bullshitters. They are destroying our country, not just the pinball industry. When, now, when did you when did you come over to America? When I was a kid. I was a young kid. I was 17 years old. And you said that there was pinball in Romania? Absolutely, in two places. At Ceausescu's place in Bucharest, and the one I played by the Black Sea, where his son, I was, uh, I'll tell you all about it. Okay? But the thing is, it's not that. I was educated to be a painter, a writer. Pinball to me was a miniature amusement park. That poor kids could go and fulfill their fantasies, changing to the ball and have power in their fingertips for 25 cents. <clears throat> and I couldn't believe that in the United States of America, Nicastro and Gottlieb and what's his name, and all these guys, and, and, and the reason for it is, is we're busy designing games and they're busy fucking over the designers of players in the world making money so they could go whore around buy bigger yachts buy a limo that had another foot attached to it 
you know, I call it Enriders, you know, Enron. I don't have any love for Nick Nicastro either. Not just him. There were other accomplices, but, you know, I love Kenny, but he has no spine. I, I love the management, you know, a lot of the guys in the management. But I, I have no respect for the guys that screwed over millions of passionate silver ball enthusiasts and basically screwed me over because I, I thought I could change it. And I did for a while. And we were on our way with people at Circus and a sit-down flipper, except they couldn't maximize their profits. Obviously, I haven't seen the the sit-down pinball, but I have played pinball circus, and I think that game is just unbelievable. I, the whole I'm you didn't see it with everything. I bet you you played the the version that Steve Kord has stripped down. That's correct. Right. You mean that's not the Rams that has a ball uh, uh, serpentine like my first uh, in cyclone I serpentine the ball horizontally coming towards you and I was going left and right dancing okay on a, on a serpentine ramp these guys were coming down like a course group huh from now, the top now Kordak has one where's the other one and is his different than Kordak's? I don't know. You know what? Pisses me off. I don't have one. Yeah, well, there's only those two, right? No, they made six of them. Where Where are the other four? I have I have the best one, which is still with me. <laughs> so what do you mean? You said you didn't have one, but you do? Yes, in my mind. Oh, <laughs> my oh okay. <laughs> I have the real pinball circus. Maybe one day I'll get an honest money, man, to, to do the magic again. So you would build, if somebody came up to you and said, I want to build Pinball Circus, you you would do it? Yeah, absolutely. And I wouldn't just build Pinball Circus now, because I matured, and since then I designed amusement park rides. I designed other things. I am here in Green Bay designing... Uh, the real virtual reality environment for the future with military technology. I, to me, yeah, absolutely I would do it. I would do it in a near second. I would do it on my free time. Was your disappointment with Pinball Circus what got you away from Williams and moved you to Capcom? Yeah, absolutely. No, hey, I didn't leave Williams because of money or anything. I realized that they were designing pinball games by formula, like Gary Stern does today. Three bumpers, two flippers. It's like, tie me up, tie my ankles up, tie me up, and now you want me to invent a new ballet dance? It was crazy. It was fucking crazy. It was just business, man. It was bullshit. It was not game design anymore. So when you got to went to Capcom, did they give you creative freedom to do whatever you wanted? They promised it to me, and then they said, we cannot do that because we have to first prove that we can do as good as Williams. And the reason I couldn't leave Capcom is because they gave me a contract I couldn't walk out of. 
And by the way, once I make a commitment to the people, I keep it. Was Williams pretty mad at you when you left? <laughs> Kenny left. Uh, Kenny kept my office for six months. He didn't believe I would not come back. Ask me what would bring me back, and I told him. I've been doing games like Pinball Circus or Greater. I'm not leaving because of the money. Hmm. I I took a pay cut from all Disney Studios. I went from sixty-four thousand dollars to thirty-two thousand dollars in nineteen. 79 to join Williams because I was excited I knew um, computer programmers were not animators they were only scrolling pixels across the screen right like Nolan Bushnell and Eugene and so on and Larry Damar I was a top animator and I went there to animate Joust and I took a 50% pay cut to 32,000 from 64. Wow. Wait, when I left Williams, are you sitting down? Yeah. I took a 190 grand pay cut. To, to go to Capcom? Yes. Oh my gosh. No, you don't understand something. Read the phone head and then you interview, man. Between you and I, I am worried about our future. And I don't know where the hell. There is not another America. Australia and New Zealand don't cut it. And there is not another planet with civilized, intelligent life close by. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. So If we don't do it, if we don't, and God bless you. I love the fact that you take the time to do this. But if you do it, you want me to help you to do right from the heart as an investment to our next generations. Because I made my, I made my uh, bones, I have my feathers, and right now I'm doing really, I'm doing some great stuff. I love you to visit us this fall, see proof of principle on some incredible magic. Well, now, where, where are you working at right now? Baytech, Northern Wisconsin. And, what are, and you're designing uh, what? For game designer. I have my own. I basically have my special forces. I got the best engineers on the planet, best technology in Canada, Europe, and United States. <laughs> and... I, in in the next two years, I'm going to embarrass Microsoft and PlayStation and Sony. You know, I did that before. So I and some of the guys that I cannot talk about were involved with me at Williams. So at Capcom, they promised you complete creative freedom, but they wouldn't give it to you. No, they bamboozled me. They used my name to get Japanese big millions. Okay. Rene Lopez, I'm not going to go into that. Capcom is a black hole. By the way, let me put it very clear. When I went there, I I couldn't leave Williams till I finished Popeyes and Pinball Circus. Now, they offered me to be director of 
whatever. I told him, although I did not have a contract, that I will not leave Kenny till I finish my two projects. Mark Ritchie left before Indiana Jones was done, and he got the top spot. You know, Mark Ritchie, like Barry Osler, thought he was a game designer. The two, those two guys, Clay, are nothing but screwdriver and hammer guys. They couldn't write a half-page essay, okay? They can't, they don't know kinetics. They don't understand even Galileo's inclined field or whatever. Hmm. They don't even know the history of pinball. They never went to Europe to see a bagatelle. Oh, by the way, you know what the Titan was? The real giant. Harry Williams. He was Leonardo da Vinci, and Steve Corda claims, because he's not alive to debate him, Harry, uh, Steve Corda claims he put the flippers in the middle. That's bullshit. Uh, uh, Harry Williams, I know I'm screaming, I'm very emotional about Harry Williams. It's, it's like, it's so ridiculous. Kordak was against my million shot in Comet, and then he took credit for it. I'm working on a game right now that was designed by um, by Harry. It's, it's a 1954 Williams game. It's called Nine Sisters, and it's just unbelievable the things that, that are designed into that game. The guy made the wire form. The guy made the jet bumper. The jet bumper. Do you know the Harry Williams? Designed the torpedoes for, that worked against the Japanese, and they tested them on Chicago River behind Williams during the war. <laughs> no, I never heard that. True story. Harry Williams was the most, and you know, I was like that, and people stepped over me, and that's why I retired at my farm in Michigan. I was very bitter. Read Ayn Rand, Fountain said. How did Capcom handle the Zingy Bingy project? It was rumored that that game had, like, penises for flippers and women's breasts for the pop bumper caps, and it was a very sexual game where the outhole in the game was, well, let your imagination run wild with that one. I mean, were, were they okay with that? Absolutely. The women loved it. It was character assassinated. It, it was not a pornographic game. I have the play field. I have the design. It is the greatest game. It's man and woman, and the flipper is by the guy's shorts. It's not a penis. It's a flipper. The jet bumpers are her boobs, just like in a machine, the pride of pinbot. And by the way, Clay, Every game in the world is a sexual game. Sexual, not vulgar, not pornographic. You well, know why? Stick it in the end zone. It's all, that's why animals in spring play games. It's the best male against the female. I am a true designer. I understand games. I can take you in game history to, to the first bones because I studied it. I did my homework. Lawler, all his copycats, they don't know games. Lawler copied my, my head idea for Funhouse. 
you came up with that? Oh, you mean like the bride of Pinbot? He took it a step further or something? No, he didn't. He didn't take it a step further. I had that head, and I had to change it because this broke into my office with Larry Damar and pushed it politically out of me while I was fishing in Canada. Huh. I mean, I can tell you, I, I'm telling you, you can write a movie and a novel about this. <coughs> and that's why I told you, uh, Eugene Jarvis, genius. I respect the guy. I love him. And he suffered a lot. He doesn't talk about it. He doesn't have any fight. Uh, well, and also he's busy like me doing new games. <laughs> We have no time to cry, man. We keep on moving. <laughs> so when you showed Zingy Bingy to Capcom management, they were okay with the concept? Yes. They took polls that 138 women, and it was approved anonymously. Huh. Now, are there any of those games out there? No. We did to play because it was a riot to play. And I have, if you, by the way, Zingy Bingy in this day, if we can do it, I showed it to Gary Stern. I took him to Brian's, uh, Brian Hansen has a play field. You know, the guy that was magici a magician? Okay. And I took him from his uncle's business, and Mark Ritchie was threatened by him. Roddy Dunn. Because he thought, no, he's going to be my new boy or whatever. We did two playfields with Zingy Bingy. And they are simple. Now, imagine a pinball game with two large pieces of plastic on the two sides. You know the plastics. Sure, sure. Imagine a game where you can go with your girlfriend and have a blast. Because it has gender buttons. Player one male, player two female. Huh. Imagine a game where you can have interaction. I mean, it's phenomenal. You know? So, out of all your games that you worked on, what what is the one that you, you, you feel was the most creative, your favorite one? Uh, by far... I think I revolutionized the industry um, with Comet. Um, before then, you'd have a guy that would copy a Harry Williams layout, move things around a little. I call them paste-up artists, copycat artists. And they'll throw graphics around. And the guy that inspired me was Christensen. Oh, yeah, Dave Christensen? Oh, that guy's unbelievable. Yes, David Christensen, when I joined the industry, we used to go in Germantown because I speak German. We called him Colonel Nazi. Him and I didn't agree, but Hitler, Hitler was the catch me or whatever. He was a fucked up kid. But anyway, his integration of art and mechanisms was very primal to me. Because I was trained into choreographing elements for movies or animated movies or theater stage. I, I did theater plays when I was 11 years old. 
stage props, the whole thing. Huh. So, so I had the training to take moving parts and human emotions and heroes and putting them in a well choreographed script that went from introduction to climax in a story. Okay? And capture the audience, capture the human feelings and soul, and entertain them. Take them for a roller coaster ride in a miniature amusement park. Whether it was a horror amusement park, a an ecstatic, positive, uh, happy amusement park. Those were basic things that were taught to me by masters before. Christensen was the guy that said to me when he saw my stuff, as a matter of fact, because Christensen, I went and saw Ken Fedessa and also Tim Murphy, whose mother interviewed me. I won. I beat Salvatore Dali and uh, what was the other guys at the Metropolitan Museum I took the Hallmark Awards I have a painting at the Metropolitan Museum <laughs> when I was 19 years old so his his aunt Tim Murphy's aunt was a, a tri Chicago Tribune writer and my house was surrounded by news trucks one morning and my mom thought I did something bad, they were looking for me. And you know, the news media came with police and all that. You know, it's like Paris Hilton, <laughs> 15, 15 seconds of glory. <laughs> I have the article in a Tribune, by the way. But anyway, here's a 19-year-old kid that beats all the big painters in the world. And Christensen knew about it. And so did Tim Murphy, because his aunt was the writer. So when Kim Fedesna was looking desperately for a guy to move video forward as far as choreography and doing joust, which was a catastrophe, Bill Futsenrura came up with a flat button and I came up with the characters as well. Well, anyway, um, when I came to Williams, I couldn't believe they had this mediocre guys. They couldn't even get an A in art class in a good art high school in the United States or Europe. <laughs> they all traced their art. They were copycats. They couldn't draw their own sketches. <laughs> they traced stuff on the light table. You know what, guys, they karaoke? Right. In the, you know what's scary about this, Clay? It's like watching Amadeus, Soltieri. They thought they were musicians. They thought they were composers. Now, they were creators. Did how much influence did you have on Big Bang Bar at Capcom? I gave that guy everything. the The dancing lady was from a beer mug. I wanted to do St. Paul's girl. You know the beer? Yeah, I'm sure. I did St. Paulie's Girls dancing in your beer mug in the central with a wire up her ass and I did it with John Ballow, the great toy uh, guy. It was my idea. We did it in his shop. You know John Ballow? I don't know him personally, no. 
you should interview him. John Bellow is a guy that a lot of guys like Pat Lawler, a lot of guys take credit for the stuff he did. The end in Adam's family, John Bellow, when I brought him in to do my first sculptures, Steve Ritchie, Pat Lawler, everybody, Larry Damar, said, Python, there's not pinball. Don't put those toys there. And after Pimbot, and I started putting the toys in, they all copied me. What I say about copycats. How did you come up with that idea for Pinbot? Oh, I'll show you the storyboards. To me, a pinball machine is a robot. You are basically controlling, like an exoskeleton robot in Alien, your fingers control the robot. And through you, through your fingers, the robot is an extension of you. I wish I could do that to a woman. That would be the perfect woman. That's why the machine. (laughs) (laughs) That's why the machine, the Bride of Pinbot, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Now, did you try and get, like, Mr. Roboto from Styx to, you know, be the music or anything? No. No? No. It had nothing to do with that. It had to do with the conquest of the universe, Voyager. I designed Pinbot five years before we even started. Now, is there any good stories behind Bad Cats? Oh, Bad Cats was a joke. Bad Cats and Bad Cats and Bugs Bunny are my yes boy kiss ass. What pisses me off is I said yes to management to do games in three months. So other prima donnas like Pat Lawler could take 12 months to do Adam's family. And by the way, Adam's family is not Pat Lawler's game. What, what do you mean? Sharps. What, what, what do you mean it isn't Pat's game? It's Roger Sharps. Did you hear me? Yeah. Ro- oh, you mean ro- that was really Roger Sharps' design? Well, of course it was. Huh. Roger Sharp is another genius. Roger Sharp, besides Harry Williams, is another guru. That doesn't get enough. Because Roger keeps going. I love Roger. Now, what did you think of Gene Cunningham doing, you know, releasing Big Bang Bar, you know, actually making the game? I don't know if he did that. Yeah, he did. I I actually have one. How many? 183 of them. Right. I didn't think that kid that was, that uh, Margaret G. hired was a pinball game designer. I laid out the playfield for him where he got loaded at the bar. Uh, then uh, Gary Stern copied the dancing lady for the Baba Boom Baba Bing bar. And the guy who designed the dancing lady and the drinking guys was Python and Jambello. And the layout sucked. The layout, it, it's, it's not it's another formula pinball. Are you talking about Rob Morrison? Yeah. Rob Morrison is a manipulator. Rob Morrison couldn't design his way out of a paper bag. And by the way, like, when I left Williams, Barry Osler couldn't do a game. When Margaret Ritchie was done with me, 
he couldn't design a game. It's just like Eugene Jarvis. Anybody that hooks up with Eugene Jarvis is going to win the Super Bowl of video game design. They are the managers, coaches, and quarterbacks. Imagine guys joining me in Cheeseland, Northern Wisconsin, from Martin Marietta and Abbott. And you should see the shit we do. And one thing I will never let happen again is let money men or copycats infiltrate my world. In the early 90s, like when you were doing fishtails, how was, um, were the money men controlling that game too? Absolutely. Was there anything added to that game that you wanted in it that got taken out? Oh, absolutely. The, the fish up on top, the storyboard, you know the guy in Australia, Mike? Yeah, Shaloub. He has my original storyboard. Call him. Huh. And it's a lot different? I donated my original fish storyboard to him. For the Pimo Museum? Yeah, it never happened. Oh. I tell him to send you a picture of that thing. Get a hold of him, and you'll see Fishtails, the original one. <laughs> and then on top of it, my idea of a fish talking and moving up on top became a craze in the United States. Right, right, that, that goofy fishing thing that you mounted on the wall with the talking, singing fish. You got it. Yeah. The, That's the... fishtails. That was freaking five years before the guy saw our shit. And Williams never, because all these assholes were, I told him we can put it in every basement. So you were going to have the fish do, uh, you know, actually be animated and talking through the whole game? Yes. And we are the first guys that took a fish and animated the fucking thing. Move the tail and dance up on top of the game. Yeah, you know, I'm a guy that animated wax figures for Disney. I mean, you can see the natural progression. Hmm. And don't give me credit. I credit God and I credit whatever creative angel my drummer inside me. Because it's, it's all right. Everybody made a lot of money off my stuff. But I'm a creator. I'm not a bullshit or a manipulator or a money guy. But one thing that if you want to talk to me about this, I will give you my time under one condition. Okay. Read and Rand and the phone head. And while me talking to you about the past I can educate our new talented kids our our thriving artists to learn from my mistakes my history to take our country and humanity and creativity forward then I will feel that you and I getting together did something great did you have much involvement with Kingpin at Capcom? No. Now, what about Flipper Football? Did that come out like you wanted? Not the way I wanted it, no. No. What did you want different in Flipper Football? Well, I have the original storyboard. 
I wanted the, 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 the again, we were against the clock to put a product out. There was money and BOM, Bill of Materials. It was a virtual, the, the flipper football was supposed to be like Pinball 2000. I sold Camp Fedesta for $75,000, which they did, uh, um, the thing with us, with a video image and the ball. So you mean Flipper Football was supposed to do that? Yes. And when Capcom folded, because Mark Ritchie and Renner Lopez and Mike Stroh betrayed me, and they turned it into that piece of shit, because we had to come up with a quick, quick. The ball was supposed to go into video land and change into it was not supposed to be the little display there was a an evolution to pinball circus where a ball interacted with an image hmm. going in front of the screen okay and uh, video images when you hit the button, we're supposed to jump over the physical ball. Now, were you going to use an actual, like, color video monitor, or were you going to use the dot matrix? No, I was... Yeah, listen. What Williams did with that Pinball 2000, I still have the presentation, was supposed to do my game, which was a generic, where a ball went into video land, went into a trap, into an eject hole stopped and then the image on the glass will have the ball continue and then the ball will morph into different characters hmm. you understand? yeah like when the ball goes under the play field and like it, then it enters video land and you actually see it traveling down a, maybe a internal habit trail and then it morphs into something else mm-hmm is that is that what you mean? You couldn't, tell, you couldn't tell the difference between a physical ball and a ball on the on the reflection on the glass. But what happened was Larry Damar convinced Kenny that buy the idea from him, and we can do it. And Larry Damar is nothing but a great programmer and a manipulator. And a copycat. Larry DeMar is not a creator. Hmm. Okay? He's not. He should have been a lawyer. Or a freaking <laughs> whatever. He's not. He's not Eugene Jarvis. He's not Python. He's not... He's not Roger Sharp. Hmm. He's not Steve Ritchie. So, your idea in Flipper Football was reminiscent or, or was kind of like what Pinball 2000 evolved into? No, Pinball 2000 is what I sold Kenny. He gave me a check for $75,000. I still have the script and everything. And and you mean with the reflective mirror design and all that, or just... Yes, yes, yes. So now, how did that filter out to Pat Lawler and George Gomez? Excuse me. They're employees. I didn't care. I knew they couldn't do it. I knew them. Listen, you know what I like to do? If 
dumb, arrogant son of a bitch wants to take my jet plane, thinking he can fly it. After he flew a crop duster, he thinks he's uh, an innovator. I give it to him. They crashed him. They burned. The whole concept, what year did you, you, you sell this idea to Williams? Uh, I did after Capcom closed. All right, we're going to take a little break from talking with Python on TopCast, and we'll be right back. Hey, George, I just had to call and tell you about this really great magazine I got. It's called the Pin Game Journal, and it's the only magazine dedicated totally to pinball. It's got great articles and interviews with designers and everything. No, George, I won't loan you my copy. Who knows where you'll take it to? You're going to have to go to PinGameJournal.com and get your own subscription. But George, the guy says that each issue will get mailed whenever he feels like it. What's the deal with that? All right, George, I got to go. Got to call Elaine and tell her. I can't believe how good this magazine is. The views and attitudes expressed on TopCast belong solely to the appearing guest and may differ significantly from the views and attitudes of the TopCast production staff. An appearance on TopCast does not imply endorsement by TopCast staff. All right, we're back with Python Angelo here on TopCast. And by the way, Bill Futsaruda is another genius. Bill is one of the most underestimated geniuses in the industry. And he's been beaten down. He's not as aggressive and emotional. Bill is kind of a low-key nice guy. But he's been beaten down by Larry Damar and by the the copycats and the manipulators. And Bill and I did the wacky dots. What are wacky dots? It's Chucky Zuckies. Any Chucky cheese place has one. Oh, okay. I retired because of it. It made more money for me and Bill than any game I did for Williams. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that a joke? (laughs) Like on Pinbot, you know, when that came out, how were you compensated for, you know, designing a great game like, you know, say Pinbot? I wasn't. All the money was made by the Nicastros. So you mean there was no, like, uh, bonus or anything for you? I, I like your questions. They're irrelevant. You can note that one of my biggest accomplishments in the coin-up industry, greatest, is I'm the first designer that, while I got full power over my project, of the funds, because I left Williams, I quit. I was disgusted with all the bullshit. Went to Europe for six months. When I came back, Kim Fedesna had messages. My mom said, Williams is calling you for two months. I went back and Kenny wanted me to come back to work. And I never worked for Williams since 1985. Hmm. I was a consultant with an office there. I came in 24 hours when I wanted to, because I don't believe in coming to work 9 to 5 and pretending I'm work. I'm working. Or being creative where I can be creative. I'll go in and work for two days, non-stop. Or I'll go in and work 16 hours. Or I'll go in and work two hours. And my team was my team. Nobody screwed with them. 
uh, it was Kimbot. My biggest accomplishment is not the greatest pinball game, I feel, for that format in the world. And simple. And uh, talking about our conquest of the universe through Voyager, which you were, it's on the, in the belly of the robot. Right. But the poem I wrote is why I'm in the Smithsonian, and a poem about the machine. It's about the future of man. It's that robots will conquer the universe through our fingertips. Getting back to Pinbot, I will tell you my biggest accomplishment in the pinball and the game design industry. I'm the first man that in Pinbot. I went to Kenny. He couldn't do anything. It was too late. I said, I put on a play field all the names of my design team. Kenny said, I have no problem with that. Two hours later, when the playfields came in from church and cabinets printed, but you know what? All the glory grabbers, all the manipulators, all the control freaks were in Kenny's office. What is he doing? Huh. Kenny called me. He said, Python, you cannot do this. I, you know, I'm getting too much because Kenny is a nice man, but he has no spine. I said, Kenny, it's not like the way games were done in the past is one guy, it, I, and my analogy to him was the way Charlie Chaplin did his movies. And coming from the movie industry and a theatrical, I said, Kenny, today making a pinball game it's not like having one guy, you know, Charlie Chaplin used to set the camera and have what they called a monkey that turned the handle. Right. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. The camera monkey. Charlie Chaplin did his own makeup, wrote the script, got two supporting actors, and did his great masterpieces. Right? Right. Okay. They used to do pinballs. Now, I told Chris Glenner, I want music like Vangelis. And was he okay with that? No, he wasn't. We argued because he is, uh, but anyway, I won't go there, but Chris Glenner wrote the greatest pinball music, original, not copied from Hollywood. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's the greatest masterpiece. Chris Kramer did under my direction. Hmm. I told him, I want Vangelis, I want better than 2001, I want space. I want a trip to Saturn between the rings. We used to get and argue, it was a truly like the surrealists or the impressionists. But that's the time where you, I could do that. Then Futzenroder, he was great, everybody was great. I was just a choreography and a stage master. I was the Steven Spielberg. It was great. Hmm. It was one of the most special moments in coin-up, not in... I had more successful experiences in other fields, books and so on. But at the end of the day, I thought it was unfair to put, like, Steve Ritchie or whatever, Pell Holler, or 
designed him like George Lucas did with Star Wars. He's my hero, George Lucas. Hmm. So, then another thing I did is I went to Kenny and I said, my peanuts, whatever, 25 bucks a game, whatever, which was peanuts. There were guys that were getting $100, $200 a game. I want to give foot, you know, split it. Right. Kenny had no problem, but now when this assholes found out that I did that, they were threatened. So all of a sudden, after Pinbot, I was doing three great Pinball games a year. Case in point. Cyclone, Jokers, and Taxi in one year. Major hits. Big time hits. Yeah, but well, hang on. Paolo and Steve Ritchie were taking 14 months with three times the engineers. I had a team of five guys. Hmm. They would kill for me. I told them, go kill me, Castro. They fucking probably would have. <laughs> because he's Alexander the Great principal. <laughs> if people kick ass for you, share your clothes, your food, your glory with them. Live in the trenches. No, no it's the right thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. So, no matter how you cut it, I was the guy that drove everybody crazy, except my own team, and gave the big results. And to me, it didn't matter. To me, the only most important thing is that I kept my promise from my childhood. That I want the kids that put a quarter in a game not to feel ripped off. Now, did police force start out as police force, or was it something else? It was bad, man. And why did it get morphed into police force? Because I always do alternate plans. I have plan A, B, and C. I knew there would be a car, I knew there would be, but it was a good guy fighting the bad guys. We were supposed to get bad men. You couldn't get the license? No, Larry Damar was working with Camacow. Camacow got bad men. Hmm. Now, what do you mean Larry Damar was working with Camacow? Larry Damar was a scoundrel. He still is. Larry Damar was stealing shit at night and taking them to Data East for Joe Camacow. Now, how did you know that? I knew it because... When I did Pinbot, Joe Kiamakau did uh, whatever. It was a robot game. Because the guard and people in the company, they reported me on what he did when I was not there. Were you disappointed that it ended up as police force instead of Batman? No, I didn't care. I think police force was a great game. The drug rats. I didn't know Bill Clinton... There will be a bill for president. <laughs> it's again my instinct. <laughs> you know, the, the loan shark, which offended me, Castro, the mafia. If you look at all the bad, it's just, if you read my script, they didn't even bother publish those poems or those. You see, I first wrote a poem or a script. 
what it will be. And then I designed the stage. These other clowns shoot in the dark. They they copied some of my gizmos, and then they tried to get a license or put up a story to it. So you mean you're creative? The way you work is you you write a poem first, and then script. You have you cannot just take a stage, which is a pinball game, or an amusement park, and start throwing mechanisms in it. Or go, I'll throw this actor. He looks good to me. Or you have to have a story. You have to have a plot. You have to have choreography. It's like Cirque du Soleil. You can't just say, okay, give me a tent. Oh, I like the swing. And I, you, you don't do that. Hmm. You cannot let the plumbers design you have to have an architect to build a building. Not the plumbers and the electricians. <laughs> They're not great architects. They're great architects of our industry and visionaries are Harry Williams, Roger Sharp, Eugene Jarvis. You can write that, hey, uh, just quote me on that. It, and so what game was did you think was True Genius that you did not have any any input on? True Genius? Yeah. The True Genius was Robot Run. Defender and Robot Run. Because I'm also a video game designer. Now what about Pinball, though? Terminator. So you like Terminator? Terminator is the story of Robot Run. Saving your family against robots. Eugene Jarvis should get all the credit for Terminator. Eugene Jarvis is a genius, a foreseer. He's a foreseer. He's a Yoda. Hmm. Eugene Jarvis. But what pinball was like your favorite that you didn't have anything to do with? Um, Roger Sharp uh, eight ball. Huh. Uh, Buckaroo. Buckaroo. By the way, Cats was kind of a uh, copy of Buckaroo. He animated mechanical backlash. Right. That was not a Python original. That was a thing I had to do in six months for the line. That's why I said to you, so I'm not proud of. I'm proud of putting the wheel for cards in Jokers and in Cyclone in the backlash or in Big Bang Bar, the Pachenko. Or having the skill shots, all the skill shots, the great ones on taxi, on police force, you name it, the great skill, right off the bat, you, it's like knowing the wheel game on TV. What, Wheel of Fortune? Yeah, Wheel of Fortune, where you start with the thing, uh, real quick, right off the bat, you have a game, you know? And then, okay, you get the name. What is that uh, locality? What country? You know, real quick, right off the bat. Bam, bam, bam. The game is on. Um, but Harry Williams invented the skill shots. Hmm. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, no, I know exactly. You know, he actually came up with that design. If you look at, like, Pat Lawler's NASCAR, 
you know, which he did a year ago, and you look at a Harry Williams game from just after World War II, where Harry Williams had that same sort of skill shot that went around the upper bar arch and came all the way back down and around the lower arch and then back out to the middle of the play field. I hear you. I don't, I can't complete your sentence. Pat Lauder is just, I don't want to talk about it. I, I don't want to talk about that guy. Now, what... An evil man. What about Popeye? What, tell me about Popeye. Popeye and Chuck Jones and, and Bugs Bunny were my heroes. And Roger Sharp got them for me. Hmm. They were my childhood fantasies. Besides Mickey Mouse. When you did the game Popeye, why save the earth? I mean, why, you know, Popeye seemed like he was also about getting the chicks. You know, getting the skinny chicks. To revive Popeye. And I have a movie script where Popeye builds a space cruiser and he's fighting the old companies and he decides that it's bullshit. He has to build and save the earth by getting oil on other planets. When you wrote that script, was it, I mean, did you actually submit that script to anybody, you know, for. No. 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 No, because I knew. The old companies, are you kidding me? The movie industry, everybody, they'll kill you still today. By the way, did you see Mad Max? Oh, yeah. By the way, do you want to screw around with Humongous? He wants the Jews. He controls the wasteland. Remember? Yeah, I remember, yes. Okay. So why would I screw around with Exxon? And a big oil boys. So Reagan was your was your hero. Is that why you kind of honored him in the game? Who? Yeah, Reagan. Absolutely, absolutely. Him and Nancy say no to drugs. Absolutely. And I really and I honor Gorbachev because he listened to him. Absolutely. I use my art. I use. When I do a pinball game, it's not just me making money or doing a stupid fucking thing. I have social responsibility. I'm going to thousands of American bars. It's an art form. It's an American art form, pinball, like Harry Williams and David Christensen. Who else have you honored in some of your games? I honored in Taxi, the Vietnam veterans. They wound up driving taxis. Look at the taxi driver on his sleeve. He's got a Vietnam veteran, the sword. By the way, you'll be surprised how much you see in my games. <laughs> if you really look closely. Because you are a real bright guy. And I can tell you are a writer and a sociologist and a very profound man by the, the way you ask me questions. How do you actually do the artwork for like a play field? I mean, how, how you know how do you you know draw it out, and how does it end up eventually into into the silkscreen screens? What's that whole process like? Well, the the one thing is um, the guy that revolutionized pinball art was Dave Christensen. How did he revolutionize it? Well, he did because before. Some mechanical guy would put together a kinetical inclined bagatelle. Pinball is an inclined bagatelle. And like anything else, 
the bogatel was mechanized by Americans. Like we mechanized the wagon, we mechanized everything. The agricultural tools in this country. Hmm. So, basically, guys like Harry Williams and all these early gurus of mechanical inclined bogatel playfields, um, they didn't have artwork in the beginning. They only had numbers, you know? Right. For scores. Well, then, that got pretty boring because of the radio, the vaudeville, okay? Vaudeville. Okay. Music and comedy. And then they, they, TV came on. So they had to put a back class because they were competing with a black and white TV. So they had to add a, a, a subject matter, a, a theme. Well, in the beginning, they just threw some shit on, you know? Yeah. Like a pretty girl or whatever. It had nothing to do with the game, with the play field. And then David Christensen in the 70s started to like put graphic symbols around the mechanisms and kind of make it into a, an art nouveau piece of art hmm. where he framed the robbers and the targets. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. He he incorporated almost like the the mechanical aspect of the game into the artwork or vice versa. Yeah, yeah, but he did it in a decorative, not in a uh, a compositional and thematic way. And when I came in, I said, you know what? This is a miniature opera stage, a mini theater. I call it a miniature amusement park, okay? Right. <laughs> and so the way I do, I'm talking from my own, where I'm coming with it, I look at the play field. Um, in the beginning, I did it for a couple of games that way, and it was bullshit. It was like uh, writing an opera and a theater play after the guys built the stage sets. So it's almost like the stagehands dictated what your subject matter would be. So I said, that's nonsense. I, I have to write the opera and the music first, and then build a stage set and a stage for it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and what, what, when did that really start to work for you on what game? Was that like when you first that happened? Pinbot. Pinbot, okay. Yeah, Pinbot, I started with the artwork and did the anatomy of the robot and the robot girl, the machine. And then I built a playfield around it. So what medium, when you started doing that, what medium did you work in? Were you using paints or what? I'm going to digitize. I'm going to send you Pinbot storyboard. And from then you'll see how the mechs were adapted to it. Did you have to do the color separation or did somebody at like one of the Churchill do that? No, I did everything from start to finish. And then we got, because I was doing three, four games a year, I started using Dick White to cut the screens or Connie Mitchell. So you mean you actually have to cut the silk screens yourself? Yeah, the, the colors, the, the different screens, yeah. 
So you would would you do that like with a razor or something? Yeah, with a exacto knife. And we use a ruby leaf, which is a uh, a red film on uh, uh, acetate. Did you ever use the computer at all to do any of this stuff? No. And a computer today, I mean, the computer is a very primitive robot. The computer cannot do the masterpieces. The best computer in the world is the human uh, uh, mind, and the best CNC machine is the human hand. Because our kids today are getting lazy, and they are losing the trade, uh, that's why computers and CNC machines are destroying us. It's like in Terminator, they said, the age of the robots, where robots will destroy the humans. Now, on the sides of the cabinets, you know, they did, like on Pinbot, they used like a stencil, like a three or four color stencil. Did you design that too? Yeah. Yeah. On those stencils, you know, those are pretty rudimentary compared to all the other artwork, obviously. Not really. Not really. They were more complicated. Really? As Roger Duhar, I'd be at Churchill Cabinets, days trying to figure out how would two colors on a black cabinet achieve all that stuff. No. That's a lot of work. So would you do that, or did Churchill help? No, I did all that. Hmm. Yeah. So, like, the... I did all that, gave it to Marianne. Marianne cut the stencils and sprayed them. But I will do my stencils out of cardboard and experiment at Williams in my office. Hmm. And then when I got done with the design, Marianne would cut the metal piece, you know, the stencil, for industrial uh, replication, and they would do it. Now, in speaking of industrial replication, I mean, were you ever disappointed, like, if you cut the screens and everything and they did the silk screening for the back glass or the or play field or whatever, that you know, that it didn't turn out quite like you wanted? No, all my shit turned out the way I wanted. Because I went there, and while they did the first 50 play fields or whatever, I was there next to them. Hmm. It's called quality control, QC. Now, what about doing, like, the translate for Pinbot? Was that the same thing, or was that actually a painting that you they could actually take a photograph of? <coughs> there was, uh, as a matter of fact, Pinbot. We did an experiment on Comet. I am the guy that wanted to do the translate, because my paintings, I thought cutting screens was bullshit. And that was my big innovation. One of my claims to fame is that we... Now, Chemical claims he did it with a photograph, but it's not true. He found out uh, from Barry Orr Edwards and a guy, a company, oh, I forget who they were. You were the one that actually got them to use translates instead of... Uh, and because I thought it was bullshit. When a glass will break, you, all you have to do is send them a translate in a tube rolled up. But also, I was the, the guy that was doing real art, uh, meaning paintings, and I was a, a, a trained Renaissance artist from Europe. These guys were doing like, I don't know what to call it, uh, packaging stencils, whatever. No clue on how important it was to raise the bar 
to full color and to the drama we did in the 80s. Now, did they ever want you to do like a four color process? That's what we did. So that's... It was self-screened on polycarbonate. Oh, the name of the guy was Charlie at Pure Press. Pure Press. And the man who introduced me to Charlie was Ron Baum. Ron Baum worked for Sun Process, for Mike Moore. Hmm. And Ron Baum can tell you the story on what we went through to get the first translites and the polycarbonate. But it was Bill Press who, who performed it first. So the translites were four-color process, but the playfields were not. Right. Okay. Right. And now, did they ever play with four-color process on playfields? Yes, we did. And we did was uh, decals that would be applied. The problem with polycarbonate surfaces to the playfield is they would have put us out of business. When I wanted to do I, a, a polycarbonate laminate, a transcribe to the playfield mm-hmm. on polycarbonate, the playfield became indestructible, meaning our games will last in the field 34 years. Right. And uh, we will not have a replacement market. We'd be fucked with the other business. You were around when Pat Lawler wanted to do that diamond plate thing, right? It was not Pat Lawler. It was Mike Moore. It, it was um, Joe Joe's. Mike Moore was from some process. He's a chemist that, that did the adhesives and the uh, hard coat stuff. Hmm. Okay. So Pat Lawler didn't really have much to do with that? Pat Lawler has no clue about chemistry. It was Mike Moore. It was Ron Baum. I can give you their numbers. You can talk to them. And do you feel that the diamond plate thing was a good or a bad thing? It was bullshit. It, it was, it would have put us out of business like my polycarbonate, uh, laminated, printed full color playfield. Because uh, the pinball market is a replacement market. If you have a pinball machine, and that was the problem with our machines from Williams from the 80s and early 90s. They put Williams pinball out of business. They lasted too long. Yeah, your own games were your biggest competition. Yeah, and they were putting us... Why buy another pinball game with another choo-choo train ride? Uh, that's why I thought Pinball Circus and my new innovations was the way to go. You think that um, there's more than two Pinball Circuses, huh? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But no idea where they are. No, I don't. The real Pinball Circus was in my office when I left uh, Williams Disgusted because Larry DeMar, Pierre Loro, and Steve Kordak. And it's because they wanted to stay in the comfort, uh, comfort zone. Do formula, me too, me too, same old two flippers at the bottom, stuff. It was all about making uh, money by formula. It was not about innovation and raising pinball to the new millennia, pinball 2000 or whatever. As far as I'm c- concerned, all those people betrayed pinball. You got to do your first game was Comet. How did you get your foot in the door to actually where they said, "Okay, you can go ahead with this"? 
the video game designer at that time. I did Star Rider, I did Bubbles. Yeah, in Star Rider. Now, what about Star Rider? Tell me about Star Rider. It was a laser disc game, right? <laughs> you got two days. <laughs> <laughs> Star Rider was Sega's hang on that they copied later. And Ron Cross and Michael Stroll drove it into the black outhouse. Um, Star Rider was riding a bike on a tractor of the Cosmos, and I got the biggest awards. Oh, that's another honorable time in my life when I beat the right stuff at Disney for the best computer animation and uh, my Metropolia, the fantasy of... Uh, you remember Metropolia? No, I do not. Yeah, well, it's elevators going sideways and electricity goes in arcs from building to building. Hmm. Oh, it's a freaking... It's a trip, man. It's one of my... My my farthest pushes to the other side of the galaxy as far as human concept and fantasy. But getting back to Colette, and that's when my conflict with Steve Kodak and the establishment came. They wanted... I said to them, let's do a layout of an amusement park, like Aerial View. Because to me, a pinball game, it's an amusement park where you are the ball. You enter through the front gate of the shooter, and then you go on this wild ride. Right? Right. Okay. So I said, the shooting gallery, dunk the dummy, the motorcycle jump. Oh, it, I argued for two months. And the only guy that was on my side was Brian Dolotovsky, the programmer, drummer that did the Second City shit with me. I was doing comedy. He was playing with the Blues Brothers, huh. with the, the original, with the Belushis, we're hanging out with them. And when the lottery is 200,000, no, nobody cares. I said, listen, every American and human being is to be millionaire. So anyway, there was this big... Now, one thing I have to credit Kenny with, Kenny said to them, listen to Python, he's crazy, but he's got the mojo. He learned the word mojo from the genius that worked there before, John Kotlarik, that digitized the first speech and the sound guy, and a guy that uh, also built a Picasso system for the animation system that took it from Defender to Joust and to the later games. But anyway, so, Colin, I went to Great America, and I paid those guys $2,000 to go on a roller coaster and turn the front seat backwards. Hmm. So I could see the people. Because he said to me, you got to see what other people experience. And when we went down, I see these people screaming like they were getting murdered or having a multiple orgasm. <laughs> So I said, hang on a second. I need fireworks, and I need people screaming. You remember the, the comet backlash, right? Animated. Yep. <laughs> they said, are you fucking nuts? You scare everybody in the bar. I go, no. If you go up on a roller coaster, that's 
what has to happen. And Korak, Barry, a lot of the copycats politicians. Well, anyway, Kenny, and I credit one guy as uncourageous as he can be with giving me the greatest breaks. Because Kenny said, let's get it on test. Hmm. But Kenny's philosophy was the Pandora box. And Kenny, after putting Python and Eugene in a Pandora box, Kenny said, well, every time I throw their shit at the wall, it sticks. <laughs> it's a good shit. <laughs> okay? And these guys are full of shit. <laughs> so, basically, that's how Kenny operated. I don't know. The other thing about Kenny is Kenny and I, as a man, I love him. Uh, Kenny's just like me. Some of my greatest advantages and qualities are my biggest weaknesses. Kenny's very loyal to his bozo high school friends. Do you know what? I am too. You know, to my family, although they are crippled ducklings, I don't abandon them. However, I don't let people who are bozos interfere and, and hold back my real heroes. You know what I'm saying? Sure. I keep them separately. I don't put them in the same, so to speak, formula. I use I use my concrete blocks for building like a a wall or something. I don't attach the concrete blocks to my dragon's feet when I try to fly. When you did high speed after you did comet, did the money men have anything that came down on that game? No, in high speed is a very special story. High speed Steve Ritchie wanted you to be chased by the cops. Steve did not like that I wanted a police light up on top and you were the cops because Steve got busted by the cops in California. He lost his Porsche, he lost... So Steve was anti-establishment. I was friends with already the chief of homicide and narcotics in Chicago, Roman. So... The other thing that, like I said to you, when I do a game, I want to inspire. I want to be a relevant spiritual force while entertaining. I don't want to do rap music for the money. Encouraging kids or drunks in a bar to run away from police is not the right thing to do as an artist. Artists, and I, I consider pinball as an American art. Or anything I do. But the game got made with that concept. Yeah, because I plowed it through. Because hmm. I did a bad... Well, what happened is I went and my friend in Chicago got me to ride with the uh, area on Highway 5 by uh, University of Northern Illinois um, in the Calp. I went on some police chases in their back seat with the two troopers. 
those two troopers are real people. Huh. The original portraits I did are in the backlash and they have them in their houses. And I said a cool thing would be to put the scores on the dashboard where the radar and everything was. Right. Well, Steve got really freaking freaked out. He thought I was taking the project over. So, and then I said, you the player, chase the bad guy. The only reason that that bad class happened is I put on his, I put him in a Maserati and Kingpin on the back of the license plate. Right. That's the only reason. And that's when I left Williams for six months. I kicked his door in because he blamed me for a play field not being done because of my artwork. He didn't have the layout. He, would, he didn't know what he was doing. And then Mark Springer came and did a freaking play field, which is an empty highway. Hmm. High-speed play field as far as choreography and artwork. The only thing that pulled that game over was Steve's genius kinetics and my theatrics with a light and a backlash. Huh. There should have been police, you know, on the playfield with highways. Right. Police cars with the guys with their guns drawn out, with guys on the ground, the drama. Okay? Just like you watch cops today. Right. Right. Now, what about Big Guns? What was the inspiration behind Big Guns? Oh, Big Guns was uh, the catapult that Mark Ritchie designed to throw a ball with a catapult. And I said, catapults are primitive. Let's put guns over them. So the ball flies through the air and attacks the castle. And we designed, Mark and I designed a game in two days and two nights. And by the way, it was a uh, four foot by six foot with a biggest bag glass uh, on cardboard, packing cardboard, corrugated cardboard. I wish I kept that. That would have been a historical. Now, when you're doing your games at Williams, you got Cameco over at Data East. How did you feel about Cameco and Data East? By the way, Cameco. Chemical is a marketing genius. No question about it. He's a marketing genius. Um, he's not. He's not a licensing or a game genius like Roger Sharp. If Chemical would have been in politics, he would have been president by now. <laughs> I'll tell you why. The definition of a politician is somebody who steals. Somebody else's ideas and work takes credit for it. And the people he stole it from elect them because he's such a good bullshitter. He convinces even the ones he stole from that they are his own, not theirs. That's Chemical. Chemical is a very, very... Well, IGT got, finally got rid of him. You know, I knew he won't last long. Now, what did you think of the marriage of Gary Stern and and Cameco? The two of them, there are two. There is no honor among 
thieves. You were saying that Bad Cats and Bugs Bunny's Birthday Ball, that those were kind of cop-out games? Yeah, and they were my worst experiences. I'm ashamed. Inferno? Uh, well, uh, you see, in Star Rider, I was not yet a warrior leader, a general. That's what turned me into, fuck, you know, fuck you guys, and I'm not going to be a yes boy. I'm going to have my special ops. I'm going to be the, you know, the Navy SEALs. Forget, okay, you want to run your army and your bullshit. Uh, between Star Rider and then uh, Inferno as video games, and then later on uh, in pinball, that's why I quit. Because at that point, when I knew Circus won't be, he'll be a Star Rider mm-hmm. instead of Pinball Circus. It'll be a fiasco. Um, and the other thing is, Dan Lawler didn't even come and thank me for keeping the belly line alive for him to do Adam's family. You know, it's like a guy that has a sacrifice fly ball, a good hitter, and knows he will do it just to get that guy on base and make him a hero. You know what I'm saying? And by the way, to me, I'm not black and white. There are in between guys like Gomez and Dennis. The reason I know my value structure is okay is Money and results talking bullshit walks. You look at Eugene Jarvis. You look at Roger Sharp. You look at Harry Williams. Steve Ritchie. Steve Ritchie would still be a vital force like me and Eugene. If he just talked to a little red wine, some good oral sex with a beautiful woman, whatever. So do you think with Capcom... You that if they stayed making games, do you think that they would have done okay in the long run? Well, Capcom had two spies inside. Jim Stampolis, that was Williams. Williams hired a PI agency to destroy us, the Castro's. Then Castro's hired them. You are so relevant. You are so passionate. And you're asking me, Questions that nobody, I mean, I, I think that you have such incredible insight, not just in pinball, but into the mechanics of creative forces, economic forces. I don't know if you are aware of it, the way you, you, you cruise me, you, you navigate me through this. It's treacherous water, too, let me tell you. Hang on. Okay. Nothing nothing great grows in still waters. I, I like your mind and your courage, because I know you took some chances tonight with some questions. So you think Capcom could have survived if they just stuck it out? No. Why? Capcom, you know, Capcom made major mistakes in the beginning. But they made some great games. I mean, you know, even their first game, you know, the Pinball Magic, that that game was a good game. Pinball Magic was not done at Capcom. That was done by Brian Hansen and me in Brian Hansen's garage. 
And what, you guys just brought it in and they made it? Yes. I, I, I had no idea. I mean, you guys did it in his garage? Anson, I discovered Brian Anson. He did, um, for Premiere, uh, 911, the fire game with the helicopter. Right, Rescue 911. Yes. That's a good game. It was not what it was in Willie Parker's apartment. Trust me. What do you mean? <laughs> Brian was doing magic acts. Brian is a great gizmo guy. He's not a designer. Willie Parker is a maniac. You know Willie Parker? It was Willie Parker. 911 was Willie Parker 90%. And Brian Hansen, who was uh, Western Automatics, his uncle owns it, operator, just uh, a, a tech. <clears throat> and Willie came to me and said, we're doing this great thing. We want your, you are a great designer. You know, everybody, like I'm the god of games or something. I said, listen, guys. I'll come, I'll give you parts, you gotta do me a favor, I'll help you design this game, put it together, your ideas, uh, but I want Williams to have the first, uh, kick at the cat, you know. Well, well, I go, I go to Willie Parker's house, and they are doing 911, and Brian took a helicopter from the toy store, and put a magnet on it that dropped balls. You know, the helicopter went around. Right, right. Well, anyway, Willie Parker had running lights on the side of the pinball game, man. I mean, this guy was a maniac. You know, Christmas lights on the side of the cabinet. He had this big helicopter back. I mean, I thought it was so cool and courageous. And unjaded, you know. Right. Kind of a fresh approach. Out of the box. So I went, I went to William Santo Kelly, listen, give me all the parts they need, and you'll have the first kick at the cat. They brought the game in, Larry Damar, Steve Kordak, and Steve Ritchie killed the game in half an hour. They were threatened by it. That was 911. It was the 911 they brought in. Then, Willie Parker, I called Gil Pollack. Gil Pollack bought the game in a half an hour and hired Willie Parker hmm. as a game designer and gave Brian royalty. I couldn't take no money or nothing because I was working, it was conflict of interest. Right. Then, <coughs> with Pinball Magic, Yes, Brian was an amateur magician. Um, now, I tried to have a ball travel under a magnetized rod. And at Williams, Wallis Molucha, I'm, I'm not going to character assassinate people. A bunch of people that were wannabe engineers or never will be engineers told me you cannot magnetize a rod to carry a ball underneath the ramp, a wire. Well, Brian built one that worked. 
Right, the the wand, that the magic wand in, in pinball magic. Yeah, so anyway, when I joined Capcom, I said to them, I'm coming, but I have to bring this young, new, star talent guy that lives, breathes pinball. <clears throat> At the time, I didn't know Brian was a mercenary too for money. He only did it because he wanted to get the fuck out of his uncle's servicing and repairing games. Okay? It's what I call a flash in a pan, you know? Right. So, he got hired. Mark Ritchie was all jealous of him, thinking, okay, now Python, I'm not his main man, Brian. But the other thing is, Williams had a P.I., they were spying on Capcom. The guy was dumpster diving, was taking our shredded shit, putting it back together. And they also had a mole, Jim Strampolis. He got paid two and a half million dollars. And on top of it, Jim Strampolis was in charge of all our computer networking in the company. Huh. So they did theater of magic. But theater magic and, and pinball magic, I mean, they're both magic themed, but they're, the games are not similar at all. Excuse me, they made sure of that. They had no, no plan to do a magic game. Right. And who did, who did theater of magic? Papa Duke. Yeah. The guy doesn't even feel about pinball. He will do anything. He is a chameleon, a, a lizard. Huh. And Python knows it, because Python is the king of snakes. I don't slither in the grass. <laughs> I eat Papa Dukes for breakfast. I found out later, from inside guys that love me for a lifetime, that they asked him, they are doing this, do it. And he said, okay, if somebody told me, Listen, our competition, we found out, are doing a game with this team. Do it. You know what I do to them? I turn the desk upside down, spit in their faces, turn around, pull my pants down. I don't have to do that. Why would I, I, if as a designer, I would say, I come up with a better team, something else. With something else. And, and take, uh, Jackbot. There was, uh, Barry Osler's bullet, he committed suicide. Jackbot was a copy of Python's machine, Pinbot, and Jokers. Right. Jackbot. You got cards, you got the variety of Pinbot, and you got Pinbot. And I said, oh, Barry, if you take the best game designs you did with Python combine them <laughs> it's like saying listen to this analogy your biggest successes on our menu were pea soup the shrimp pizza and apple strudel with vanilla ice cream Okay. now you take those motherfuckers and put them all in a bowl and they'll taste great <laughs> Pizza, pizza, and vanilla, and apple strudel in a bowl, and even lower. After I was gone, he didn't have any 
they're done. <laughs> they're all done. And, and by the way, the the proof is in the pudding. Who is designing great games today? The big games today in the industry. Eugene Jarvis. Right? Right. George Petro. Game Mechanics. And myself, only because of my group. I brought my, like Eugene did. It's the teams, man. The championship teams. These other guys, there are slaves to money, man, like uh, Gary Stern. Doing formula games, you know, by, by template. So many. Gary Stern called and said, I need a game with three jet bumpers, two flippers. I go, Gary, I don't design like that. Yellow, I go, no. I don't. If you, you can't tell me that. It's like telling me, I want to go to Mars. And you can use two diesel engines. Right. I can't, you know. Yeah. No, I know what you're saying. <laughs> you got to design a new rocket ship. No, all he's worried about is the BOM, which is in our industry, below materials. You know. Right. Invest $1,100 to make $2,000. Triple your, I mean, yeah, your investment, whatever. All right, Python, I'm going to read this Rand book, The Fountainhead. And um, I thank you for your passion for the game. One thing is I'm very honored that a guy with your passion, because I know this is not what pays your rent and so on. No, no, it sure doesn't. <laughs> oh, I respect you so much. I love you, man. By the way... Hey, do you think they... I'm going to indict you in a game designer's brotherhood. We have a secret brotherhood. <laughs> secret brotherhood? You want me tonight. I cannot believe that you're taking this time. You you are not a normal human being. You are a brother. <laughs> My wife tells me I'm not a hor- normal. No, you're not. God bless you, though. Your wife... Your wife and I should have a few words. When are we going to put together Zingy Bingy? When can I, uh, you know, build a Zingy Bingy? Yeah, I'm ready anytime, man. I, I want to take, like, a an old pinball magic and turn it into a Zingy Bingy. You can't. We need a white. It's much simpler than that. It's much simpler than pinball magic, man. It is one of the most simple, like, pinball. It's a flat pin play field with the head and uh, at the end of the play field of the head and uh, the head of the woman and the head of the man kissing and arguing. Oh, you won't believe. It's magic. It's magic. Is there enough parts to make one? Yes. Yeah. So you have the parts? <clears throat> no, I have even the play fields. Two play fields. But it's not that. Doing, developing it as a hobby is not the way to do it. It's finding a Bill Gates or somebody. All right, Python, you take care. Have a good night. You too. Okay. God bless you. You are a wonderful, genuine man. And you see the light of good fun for kids and men by kicking around a silver ball. You got it, Python. And you keep you keep doing what you do good, all right? You bet you, man. I can't help myself. <laughs> All right. Disease, but I found another infected man. 
Thank you. Okay. Wow, that wasn't quite what I was expecting. That was a pretty wild interview by Python Angelo, uh, formerly of Williams and then at Capcom. And I really do appreciate his time and his wild stories. And I hope you all come back and listen to us again at TopCast. The views and attitudes expressed on TopCast belong solely to the appearing guest and may differ significantly from the views and attitudes of the TopCast production staff. An appearance on TopCast does not imply endorsement by TopCast staff. 